Hi, welcome to the Vine Church podcast. We've got a great speaker today. Hope you enjoy. He's been here almost as long as me. Like me, found a wife, has raised a family, and is just a wonderful speaker. So God bless you, Stuart. Welcome. And uh, come on, let's give him a proper round of applause and welcome. Praise God. Thanks, Stuart. Roll VT. And that's all there was. I was wanting the second verse. Morning, everybody. Let's paint the whole world with rainbows. That's where I'm going this morning, painting the whole world with rainbows. Because rainbows mean hope, right? Rainbows mean hope. And we're going for rock-solid hope. How did I follow that? Anyway, we're going for rocks all the top. Listen, let's paint the whole world with rainbows. Okay, is anyone else thinking I'm coming over as a bit theologically light here? Yeah? I'm feeling it a bit. Can we get our first slide on? Yes. Paint the whole world. Well, that's why you're laughing. It's my face, right? <laughs> I've been on holiday recently. Um, everywhere I went, I saw rainbows. Now, that's partly my own fault because I took my holiday in the UK and it tends to be sunny and raining at the same time here. But I drank a rainbow-colored cocktail. I ate rainbow-colored rock. And I even saw streets filled with thousands of people all dancing around with their faces painted like rainbows. So a lot of people are into hope at the moment. I was pretty sure that God was trying to get my attention through all this. After all, the rainbow is traditionally regarded as a symbol of hope. We've had a lot of desperate news, certainly locally, recently. And hope, I believe, is the answer to the desperation that many of us find ourselves in. So hope. The rainbow represents the end of a period of trouble and better times to come. It represents the covenant between God and all of creation that will not all be destroyed again in wrath. Now, I was reading a book while I was away by Max Licado. And there was a chapter in it about pride. And I'll come back to that in a minute. Now, of course, I'm not unaware of what the rainbow has come to symbolize in recent years. But don't worry. Relax. I'm not about to lead us into a minefield here. Maybe I'm going to be walking a tightrope a bit. But if we all keep our eyes looking forward, we'll get there, okay? Okay, trust. Listen, 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 listen. You're never going to get hate speech from this platform. This is a platform of love because we serve a God of love. So let's just relax and enjoy the morning, okay? But we do live in a very adversarial society. It's very much us versus them. You know, politics, economics, the media all thrive on the notion of division. In fact, they actively encourage it. Rich against poor, north against south, east against west, science versus religion, faith against reason, the church against just about everybody. But blessed are the peacemakers. The truth is there's usually more common ground than conflict. 
But that's not the recognized narrative, is it? Sometimes it's easier nowadays to define yourself by what it is that you're against and really think about what you're for and speak up on behalf of that deeply held conviction. We can easily get sucked into us versus them mindset. You know, when we, when we view life through a, an earthly lens, but when we step back, when we zoom out, when we go higher, there is no us versus them. There's only us on a tiny blue dot in the middle of an empty universe, trying to make sense of life and get by. Jesus told us not to worry about the speck in our brother's eye when we have a great big plank in our own. So why waste energy fighting phony wars with others when we haven't yet won the battle with ourselves? So by putting that slide up behind me, I'm not against real love or celebrating true diversity. God's creation is incredible. But neither am I singling out any particular group of society either. Jesus died for all. And while we were still sinners, that's inclusion. That's real inclusion. That's not the watered-down, myopic, politically loaded version that we're offered daily. Jesus didn't just accept us if we went along with his worldview. He made us acceptable, all of us, with his death on a cross. We just have to trust in him. So I'm not getting into my sins better than your sin. That's probably the most futile activity I can think of. All have sinned and we've all come up short. There is no us versus them. There's only us, fallen humans. And eventually, sadly, there's us versus God. And pride is what we all do when we don't admit to our shortcomings, when we won't face up to our true situation, when we set our face against what we know in our hearts to be true and we carry on regardless. Hope comes when we first humbly admit our need for a savior. Hope comes from the acknowledgement of the reality that God is bigger than us, but crucially, that he is for us. And I know this from my own life. Pride is man's best attempt to get through life. But pride doesn't cut it. There is a better way. There's God's way and there is hope. Lucado said this in his book, Unshakable Hope. And this is what really got me thinking on pride. He says, pride often compensates for shame. It's frequently where we go to to cover up fears and insecurities. It's we project something else. But pride can never free us from those things. So let's think that through again. This is what Lucado says. Pride often compensates for shame. It's frequently where we go to to cover up fears or insecurities. I know I've got a lot of them. But pride can never free us from those things. It just covers them temporarily. Pride is therefore an inferior response. Hope. That's where we're going today. While pride keeps us in prison and in darkness, hope opens up the door for us to walk out under open skies. 
Pride keeps us locked in our present situation, battling away in our own strength. But hope pulls us through to a new future. Hope moves us beyond pride. It frees us from it. Hope is bigger. Hope wins. This morning, I'm not going to focus on pride and on our stubborn attempts to fight the shame, the inadequacy, the fear that we all face or feel it sometimes. But in order to live in hope, we have to step into it. We have to face up to our shame, our inadequacy, our fear. We have to own up. We have to be grown up about the reality of our lives. But I'm focusing on hope. And in our short time together this morning, I'm going to look at one single reason for this hope. Life is short. We spend a lot of time, and we waste a lot of time and energy and emotion in relationships fighting. But what if we're fighting the wrong battles? Do you know that we can only ever truly win when we give up, when we surrender? That's the starting point of the future. So what if we didn't need to keep aggressively defending ourselves, proving ourselves, protesting our worth, stating our case? See, this is where hope wins. There is no condemnation. Romans 8, verse 1. There is now no condemnation. Can I say that again? There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. No condemnation. See, hope only works if it's based on something solid. Otherwise, it's just wishful thinking. And then we just revert back to pride again. So this is solid, foundational doctrine. It's straight from the pages of Scripture. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. What? No condemnation. But in the Bible, yes, no condemnation. No condemnation. So before we get into the main part of the talk, can I just make a suggestion? That's got me quite excited yesterday, so I'll share it with you. Can you read all of Romans 8? I know I'm focusing on one verse, but could you read all of Romans 8? And I mean, really, really read it. The whole chapter. I guarantee you this. It'll change your life. It'll change your life. Read it. Read it. Because it's in this passage of Scripture that we find out that we are God's children that we are co-heirs with Christ, that the present sufferings are not worth comparing to the glory that will be revealed in us. The Spirit of God helps us in our weakness. It's in this passage of Scripture that we find out that the Spirit Himself intercedes for us. That all things, can I hear on all things? All things, that all things, God works for the good of those who love Him who've been called according to his purpose. It's in this passage of Scripture that we discover that those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. What? I'm not finished. It's in this passage of Scripture that we find out that we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. And finally, that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor demons, nor the present, nor the future, nor any powers, nor height or depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God. Yes! Yes!
anyway, back on track, right? Romans 8, verse 1. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. See, for those of us who live under relentless condemnation, this is good news. If you ever feel that you don't quite measure up, that you always come up short regularly, <laughs> that you're not enough, no, maybe not, that you cannot be good enough. If you ever feel like that, this is good news. This is hope. There's no condemnation. However, if your first response to hearing this is to say, who are you or who is God to say that I fall short, that I don't measure up, that I've sinned, be careful, because that's pride rising up. And the one thing we need to know about God, we need to understand this, is He opposes the proud, but He gives grace to the humble. So let's acknowledge who we are in reality and where we are in reality and live in God's grace. Let me explain this a bit more, maybe. Right. Can you see that okay? This is something I didn't know about. Max Lucado told me, well, he didn't tell me, I read it in his book, but in a corner of Manhattan, near the entertainment center of 42nd Street, is the US national debt clock, and it rattles on upwards at several thousand dollars a second continuously, mercilessly, and endlessly declaring the US national debt. And if you can see near the bottom, every family's share in that debt. And anyone who's ever been in debt knows what a sickening, overwhelming feeling that is. But this keeps going up. And it's a number that will never be paid back. And that number above my head, that's trillions, by the way, I understand. So it's just under $20 trillion. And it looks like every family, I think this was quite recently, every family owes just under $170,000 in America. That's overwhelming. And every second, that's getting further away from us. So, Licardo's question in his book is, what if God had one of these? I mean, Scripture often refers to sin as debt. So, Jesus taught us to pray, forgive us our debts. So, imagine that counter clicking through on my life. I'll not make it imagine on your life because, you know, imagine it on mine. <laughs> but imagine that counter clicking through. You know, we gossip, it clicks. Or we put somebody down, it clicks again. We lash out in anger, it's clicking, it's ticking, it's, the meter's going up. Or we, manip we manipulate a situation for our own gain, it clicks up again. Somebody falls asleep while I'm speaking from the platform, it click, 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 that sort of thing. You know, it's just constant, it doesn't stop. The bill just keeps running up. Now, financial debt is one thing. But a spiritual debt, that's another thing altogether. Alan actually touched on this earlier on as well. But a spiritual debt, it separates us from God. And it means that he's forever out of reach. We'll never make it back. And then we have to rely on ourselves 
but it was our imperfect selves which got us into the debt in the first place. So this realization can often it leads us into two opposite reactions here. One is we try and compensate with a frenzy of good works, but then we realize we still can't make it up and we kind of slump into despair. Or we decide that no loving God would demand so much, he can't be pleased, he can't be satisfied, he must not exist. And even if he did, I don't think I'd want to know him. So we push ourselves to disbelief. So we're either hyper-religious or we're atheist. Despair or disbelief. But either way, there's no hope for us. But Romans 8 verse 1 says, There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. In our private moments, when we're being truly honest with ourselves, we know that we're not the people that we want to be, that we were created to be. We're aware of the hurt that we've caused, the opportunities that we've missed, the shame that we feel. We might not want to face it, and that's pride again, but we know it's there. We know that our debt is enough to sink us. But God loves us too much to leave us. So he found a way to save us. Paul tells us in Romans 3 that all have sinned and fall short of God's glory. See, we're intended, we're made in the image of God. We're intended to bear his nature. So deep down we know it and we feel the pain of it because we were intended to bear the nature of God, to speak, act, behave the way that he speaks, acts, and behaves. So we love as he loves. We're made to value what he values, honor what he honors. This is the glorious standard that he set and we fail to meet it. But Jesus did. Jesus did meet it. Jesus never sinned. He never turned left when he was supposed to turn right. He, he never spoke when he was supposed to stay silent. Or he, he was never silent when he was supposed to speak up. He was tempted in every way, just like us, but he didn't fail. He was the image of God, 24-7 and forever. So there's no point in being offended and being called out for falling short. There's no point in compiling a CV of all our goodness or saying, well, at least I've never done this, or I've never done that, I'm not a thief, I'm not a liar, I'm not a murderer. Maybe compared to other people, I'm a reasonably good person. But the problem is, the standard is not the rest of the world, the standard is Christ. So, can you hear the debt clock still ticking on? Yeah? I like the way the message puts the scripture in Romans 3.25. This is the message version, I'll just read it out. God sacrificed Jesus on the altar of the world to clear that world of sin. Having faith in him sets us in the clear. God decided on this course of action in full view of the public to set the world in the clear with himself through the sacrifice of Jesus, finally taking care of the sins he had so patiently endured. This is not only clear, but it's now. This is current history. God sets things right. He also makes it possible for us to live in his rightness. God didn't compromise his standard, but, but his love made a way for him to come, for us to come back to him. Too God's too just to simply overlook our sin, 
but he's too loving to push us away for eternity. Jesus took our place. We give him our sin. He gives us his righteousness. Jesus wins. Love wins. Hope wins. So we don't have to hide in pride, but we can live openly and live in hope. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. A final word from Lucado. This is a little quote. He said, this is the message of God, the promise of grace. What we cannot do, God has done. He justifies us by his grace. Now, I'm going to finish in a few minutes, but before I do, there's something else I realized this week. It's something that hadn't really faced up to before. See, this is God's version of grace, but have I ever really accepted it? See, I've realized that guilt and condemnation are never far away from the surface with me. Maybe you're the same. Do you constantly beat yourself up? Are you your own harshest critic? Do you remember all the failures, but rarely enjoy the wins? I tell myself that I'd rather err on the side of trying harder than be lazy and self-satisfied, but if I'm being honest, that's really a form of pride, isn't it? The result of not trusting in the finished work of Jesus and trying to do it all in my own strength. So I fall short again, and I feel the pain. Jesus once said to the woman that was caught in adultery after the Pharisees had all left, they'd been shown up and they left ashamed. He said, there is no one left to condemn you, neither do I. And I finally realized it this week. If God does not condemn me, then who am I to condemn me? Jesus voluntarily gave up his life so that we could have a new life in him, a transformed life, a new beginning, a new hope. But better than that, it's a new relationship. It's a deeper love, a love that drives out all fear. No need to hide, no need to cover up. A restored position with our Father in heaven. His righteousness. God now looks at us, and instead of seeing our failure, chooses to see only Jesus. Jesus is the hope of the world. That's why we can paint the whole world with a rainbow. If you're here today, or you're listening online, and you don't know this Jesus, but you'd like to leave the past and the failure behind you and follow him, then I'm going to say a prayer just now, and you can pray it with me in your heart. This is your time. Don't miss it. Can we all just bow our heads, please? I'll just read out this prayer, and if this is you, if you want to make the decision to follow Jesus now, make this prayer. Follow it in your heart. Let's close our eyes. Father God, thank you that you have loved me, even though I have not loved you. I know that I've lived my life my way, and I've left you out. I know that this has stopped me having a friendship with you. Please forgive me for going my own way and doing the things I've done wrong. Thank you that Jesus died on the cross and came back to life so that I could be forgiven. He took my place. I commit my life to you because I want to live my life your way. I choose this day to follow you and your plan for my life. I accept Jesus as my Lord and Savior and, accept, and ask that you'd send your Holy Spirit to help me. This I pray with all of my heart. 
In Jesus' name, amen. Now, could we keep our eyes closed, please, and just out of respect for each other and for the special moment, if you've prayed that prayer for the first time this morning and you've asked Jesus to come into your heart, or you've been away from Jesus and you've come back and you want to make a fresh start, with every eye closed, could you please raise your hand? Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. We'll just give it another moment. Thank you. Okay, amen. Thank you, Jesus. Okay, for those people who prayed that prayer, your new future, your new hope begins now. Don't leave. Don't leave without speaking to someone, either me or someone that you came with. Also, we've got a gold pack at the back of the hall for you. But please, everybody, let's go out and paint the whole world with hope. God bless you, and thanks for listening.